I was glad I had my hiking boots on as I scrambled over loose gravel and around big rocks and boulders in the hot, blistering sun as I approached the mouth of a cave. I had traveled to Crete, one of the islands in Greece, about a month ago to study the ancient Minoan religion. And this particular cave, the Scotino Cave, has been a place of that religious practice going back at least to about 3,500 BCE, so more than 5,000 years ago. Archaeologists have found artifacts of religious practice and artwork in the cave there dating back at least that far. And then, after Crete transitioned and the Minoan practice was replaced by classical Greek religion with its pantheons of gods and goddesses. People continued to practice different kinds of religious ritual on the island of Crete for about another thousand years or so before the Christian missionary Paul and his companions ever made it to the island. But I wasn't thinking about Paul that day as I scrambled up the hill and into the entrance of the cave. I was just focused on trying to keep my footing and thinking about the dark depths of the cave that I was headed into. Now, I'm a person who doesn't want to be in a little tiny cave. I don't know about you, but am I the only one who gets claustrophobic? The Scotino Cave is large and expansive. The front room of the cave is as big as this room, even bigger. It's got a vaulted ceiling with beautiful colored stone, colors swirling in the rock in the ceiling up above. It's almost like being in a big cathedral in that front room of the cave. But as I went into the cave, the first thing that I noticed was how welcome the cool shadow was. I wish we all could go there right now to experience the echoes, the smells, the haunting mystery of the cave, and the contrasting light and darkness of that experience. Think about all the ways in our culture that we set up polarities or binaries. Light and darkness is just one of those. I wish that we could look together at a picture right now of the yin and yang symbol. We can all probably picture that, the two swirls of light and darkness dancing together. If you wanted to just draw a sharp distinction between light and darkness, you might make a diagram that had, oh, maybe like a square of black and a square of white that were completely separate from each other. But you know that yin and yang symbol has the colors kind of swirled together in an interrelated, 
interlocking pattern with a dot of each right in the midst of the other. The yin and yang symbol is one of the ways of thinking about contrasts. And traditionally, people in Taoism and Confucianism who drew on that Chinese philosophical symbol thought about yin as connected with dark, wet, yielding, soft, passive, and yang, on the other hand, as hot, fast, hard, solid, dynamic. Sadly, that kind of dualism also got applied in different cultures to gender construction. So people sometimes taught that women are more like yin and men are more like yang. Even if you could prove that that was true, we'd still not know any more about whether it should be like that, whether that was a matter of nature or nurture. And it's troubling to me that people have gotten the message and sometimes still perpetuate the message that women are supposed to be more like one side of the dichotomy and men are supposed to be the other way. So that kind of gender complementarity that may not be in fashion today in some circles is still being perpetuated in lots of different ways and certainly in religion. In fact, even Pope Francis, whose words I usually welcome and applaud, said recently in his environmental encyclical, that we all need to pay attention to the ways that the habits and the values of the marketplace, as well as the rhetoric of war, are driving us on a path to destruction. And here's the, the quote, the line that I want to refer to. He said, quote, But we do not hear the soft voice, the gentle voice, the merciful and feminine Now, I agree with Pope Francis that we need to reclaim some feminine power and images, and that, in fact, the work of environmental activism can be furthered by those images. But I wonder if he would consider thinking more about some of the political implications of constructing gender in that way. As a woman whose passion has been studying philosophy and justice and power, studying the ways in which we can transform the world, I've been told way too many times that I can never be as good as my male counterparts in that work. At least, that is, if I'm really a woman. So there's lots of sexism in religion, and I know Unitarians have done a much better job with this than lots of other religious traditions, and I celebrate that. 
And it, but it saddens me to see that even in some of the newest forms of spirituality and expression, even when I've visited communities that practice Wicca, sometimes I still see male dominance in leadership and a kind of sexism that, that is disturbing, deeply disturbing to me. So I traveled to Crete partly because... Way back in the 1980s, I had read an essay. It was an essay that was first published in 1979 by Carol Christ, entitled, Why Women Need the Goddess. Anybody ever hear of that? Why Women Need the Goddess? One or two. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so Carol Christ has been writing about that as an academic since the early 1980s. And so I went with Carol Christ who takes tour study groups of women on a pilgrimage to Crete to explore goddess worship. Because I'm convinced that the Pope is right, that we need to reclaim some of those female images of divine power for our environmental activism, but there are other reasons as well. The way we treat Earth's body is connected with the way we treat the bodies of women and girls. And our ability to hold the sacredness of all creation and every life calls us to go further on a journey of making peace with some of the deep, dark parts of ourselves that we may not have been willing to embrace. So all of that was tied up for me in my journey of going to Crete to study. In the ancient Minoan religion, there are several kinds of symbols that show up over and over again. One is a woman seated on a throne. And interestingly enough, there aren't the counterpart. You might expect to find a man seated on the throne with her. But in the ancient Minoan religion, that's not what you find. You find these women. And also, symbols of women that look like they're in a posture of blessing. They could be queens. They could be goddesses. They could be priestesses. What we know is that here they are, these women figures, with snakes twined around their arms, or snakes in their hands, or snakes around their waist and hips. Now, anthropologists like Maria Gimbutas believe that there were times before the imperial and colonial powers of the Greco-Roman Empire moved into that region that people in Crete were goddess-worshipping cultures and that they were mostly peaceful, matrilineal, matrifocal cultures. Gambutas and others believe that was true lots of places in the world. It's a controversial thesis. I don't think we can ever prove the work that Carol Chris continued developing Maria Gambutas's anthropology and archaeology. There are lots of different ways to explain those symbols in artwork and ancient religion. What we do know is that we have these really powerful female symbols. And then we know that we have lots of symbols in 
Christian art and other religious art later of figures killing dragons and serpents and snakes and snakes being associated with evil. And in fact, we know that Christianity did a really good job and still does sometimes of teaching that women are more closely associated with evil than men. And even those of us who would reject a kind of patriarchal construction of the Judeo-Christian religion still get influenced by the myths, the artwork, the stories that tell us that women can't really be trusted and are just a little bit less truthful or straightforward than men are. Interesting that here is this ancient figure of the symbol of wisdom from this Hebrew text, this ancient Hebrew text. This figure of wisdom who clearly is not soft and yielding. She's out teaching on the hilltops, the street corners, out in public. She is a dynamic, assertive force going out, calling people to justice with power. A very different kind of representation of what it means to be female in relationship to male than we hear sometimes today. So there are these ancient images from different religions and ancient texts. Makes me wonder what kind of stories people will tell about images that we leave. What kind of images do you think will survive from our time that will be reduced just to curiosities and enigmas in some far future millennium? When I think about the time that I had in Crete, I think about sitting in that cave, that Scotino cave. We went in lots of different caves. After you go down into the first level, there are ways to go down even farther. Four different levels are fairly accessible in the Scotino cave. When I was young, I was afraid of the dark. At this stage in my life journey, I reveled in the time I was able to sit in that cave in silence and darkness and think about the ancient people that came there, wondering about what wisdom they had that we may have lost today. So many times we operate out of an enlightenment mentality of progress, assuming that we know a whole lot more than those ancient, primitive, and pagan people. But I found something on that journey down into the cave that filled me with a curiosity and a hunger to explore even new depths. I'll close with this thought that both Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud agreed that there are 
there are parts of us that we want to resist, that we don't want to face. And that there's something extremely complex, mysterious, puzzling about gender. That for both men and women, there seem to be aspects of the feminine that terrify us, particularly female power. There's something terrifying about that to people in our culture. I wonder why that is. Why it's so difficult to imagine fully embracing words like goddess or priestess as a part of our everyday spirituality. So when I think about this character of wisdom, I'm sad that she's almost buried in the biblical tradition. And my hope is that I can find other men and women who are interested in thinking more about questions Unitarians have done pretty well with. Like, I'm curious, has anybody in here ever participated in the curriculum entitled The Cakes for the Queen of Heaven? Maybe there's an interest in exploring that kind of goddess spirituality that may be awakening again in the journey of human consciousness.